Okay, thank you everybody for joining us this morning. Um, I'm Emma Norris, I'm the Research Director at the Institute for Government and we're very delighted to welcome you here today to, for the launch of our new report on the scale of government procurement, looking at how much government is spending, um, who it's spending it with and what it's spending it on. Now the big message from the report is that procurement accounts for a third of public spending. Um, but government needs better data and crucially open data to understand um, what it's spending that money on, to procure effectively and to judge how effective its procurement is. This report is going to be the first in a new programme of work at the Institute, looking at outsourcing and procurement, looking at this 30-year experiment, if you like, and looking at what has worked, what hasn't, and where next for outsourcing and procurement. We're delighted to have an excellent panel here today. We've got Gavin Freegard, our programme director, who will be introducing the report. And we've got Gareth Rees-Williams, who's the government chief commercial officer and will be responding. Um, Ian McGill, the founder of Spend Network, um, who is going to be talking through their own work on open data. And Gavin Heyman, the executive director of the Open Contracting Partnership, will be bringing a much needed international perspective. Now, I want to say up front how grateful I am to Ian and to Spend Network for all um, their help on the report. Most of the data that you'll see in the report today comes from Spend Network, so we've been extremely lucky to work with them. And we're also very grateful to our funders for this report, Gowling um, WLG, the international law firm. And I'm delighted to welcome Michael Luckman, a partner at Gowling, to the stage for a few minutes to introduce um, today. Michael. Good morning, everyone. I mean, the business of government is vast, isn't it? There's so much to do. So the key question is, how is it to be done and by whom? Currently, I think the answer is not by a hard-pressed government who are strained in both in terms of capacity and skills. And so that government needs to outsource significant amounts of work to the private sector. And these aren't small bits of work. These are significant, as you have heard that it's one-third, up to one-third of general government expenditure is spent on outsourcing projects. And if you want to translate that into GDP, that's 14% of GDP. <coughs> of that procurement spend, nearly one-fifth, 20% of that spend, is spent on strategic suppliers who get more than £100 million worth of revenue a year through that procurement route. Recent experience has suggested that the public-private relationship has not always been happy for either party. In the public sector, we get delays, we get unbudgeted costs, poor quality and public criticism. For the private sector, you might say, there are poor margins, significant political risk and potential reputational and financial ruin. So we need to understand better how to manage and make this combination work, because I don't think it is going to go away. We need to deliver taxpayer value quality of delivery and success for private enterprise. As a supplier to government through the Crown Commercial Service, Gowling WLG is delighted to sponsor the IFG in its research into these dynamics. The starting point is always, of course, at the underlying data to the practicing, practice of outsourcing. And so I'd like to introduce Gavin Freegard from the IFG who will present this initial report. Thank you. Thank you very much, Michael. Um, thank you, Emma. Uh, and good morning, everyone. Um, it's nice to have the opportunity to talk about some numbers that don't revolve around 48 letters, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> so, uh, as everybody said, uh, I'm just going to give a quick overview of the report, which I'm going to do in two parts. First is just to tell you what we found. Some of the questions that we wanted to answer when we came to this were, what's the scale of procurement spending in government? What is government buying? And who is it gov government buying it all from? Now, this is all information that government needs at its fingertips <clears throat> if it's to manage public service markets effectively and get the best value for the taxpayer. As we found on the outside, though, the published data is still of quite poor quality and it takes an awful lot of work to put it together to come up with answers to those questions. And again, we're incredibly grateful to Ian McGill and Spend Network for crunching a lot of those numbers for us, but also to the government commercial function, Crown Commercial Service and others across government who've been very helpful in coming up with the right numbers for this report. As I said, I'm not going to run through all the data, so please do check out the report in full, which you can find on our website. The second uh, thing that I'll just cover briefly is some of our recommendations in the report. Uh, it won't surprise you to know that some of those cover data, uh, but there are some wider ones in there as well. So, 
We all know that procurement, the purchase of goods, works and services by government from external providers, is an incredibly important part of the governing landscape and accounts for an awful lot of public spending. Now the question is how much public spending does it account for? Well I've given you a clue in only taking the axis up to 50% and of course it's already been, you've already been told by Emma and Michael what the number is. So what percentage of public spending <laughs> is spent on procurement? Any guesses? No? A third. Excellent. <clears throat> uh, that is indeed the correct answer. And it's been something close to that since about 2004-05. Um, you can see there's a little bit of a dip um, around the recession, but it's now recovered to uh, similar levels to before. Now, if I were to ask you only about central government, do you think the percentage is higher or lower? Bruce Forsyth way to start the morning. <laughs> lower. It is indeed. It's more like 28%. Uh, that's because a lot of uh, government spending goes on things like debt, interest, subsidies, <coughs> and welfare payments, which obviously aren't procured. <clears throat> and of course, that means that when you come to local government, it's a much higher percentage. It's more like 47%. Um, you can see that there's been a sort of seven percentage point increase since about 2010, but given the constraints on local government spending, that's about £4 billion increase in absolute numbers. Uh, not as much as the 22 billion or so uh, that's been in the central government increase. So it's an important part of public spending and it has actually gone up since about 2010. So where do we think the UK, with its one-third going on procurement, sits in an international context? Do we think it's higher or lower than the OECD average? Lower. A couple of hires. It's actually quite close to the average, but it is slightly higher. You can see the purple is the OECD average, the pink uh, is the UK. Um, and it might be slightly surprising, given you know, the UK seems to have a particularly sophisticated public service market system. We've been doing this for a lot longer than other countries. But you can see that the Netherlands and Japan, it's more like 40% of public spending goes on procurement. But we are ahead of Portugal, who are down on about 20%. So that's how much we're spending, but what are we actually spending it on? Well, if we look at a very high level, 32% goes on health, 13% goes on social protection, which includes housing and unemployment, another 13% goes on education, another 13%, I hope nobody's superstitious, goes on economic affairs, which covers everything from agriculture to transport to research and development, and then we've got 11% on defence. 6% on public order and safety, which includes things like prisons, and 12% on other things. And that actually compares quite closely to the OECD average, but you can see that if we just highlight defence and public order and safety, the proportion of UK procurement spending was around double the OECD average in 2015. Now, can we get beyond those high-level categories to get a better understanding of exactly what it is government is buying? Well, the answer, thanks to Spend Network, is yes, with lots of caveats. If we look at the published spending, we can see the sort of companies that are, that are involved and make educated guesses about the sorts of things that uh, are being bought. And in fact, we can see that the sort of biggest category of companies are those dealing with works, so big construction projects, and then second, we have facilities and management services, everything from building maintenance to security to catering. Now, central government dominates the procurement of works, about 70% of all public sector spending. And in fact, the Department for Transport accounts for more than half of it. Uh, possibly not a surprise when you think about the size of some of the big transport infrastructure projects like HS2. As for facilities management, more than half of that goes on the NHS. So as you can tell, procurement spending varies quite significantly by different parts of the public sector, and it varies quite significantly by department, both in terms of the amount spent and the proportion of departmental budgets that that represents. So four departments spend more than half of their budgets with external suppliers. Anybody want to guess which ones? MOD. International Trade, Justice. Health. Lots of good guesses, and you're about to see quite a few of those departments. Uh, you can see that it's the Ministry of Justice, the Department for Transport, Department for International Trade, and the Department for Environment, Food, and Rural Affairs. Uh, again, in MOJ's case, that includes things like prisons and community rehabilitation companies, and DFT we've already talked a little bit about. 
If we go to the sort of next couple of departments, the Department for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport, and then the Department for Health and Social Care, you can see DHSC, that's a whopping £75 billion. Uh, the vast majority of that on NHS spending. And in fact, if we look across the entire piece, in absolute terms between them, DHSC, the Ministry of Defence, who somebody mentioned, Department for Transport and Department for Education account for about £119 billion, or 82% of all central departmental spending on procurement. So we've looked at what's government spending and what it's buying with that, but who is it spending it with? Now we've already heard a mention of strategic suppliers this morning. This is the list of almost 30 suppliers um, that have central government contracts worth about £100 million or are particularly significant in their own sector. They include household names like BT or Microsoft, G4S, Serco, Capita and more recently Carillion and Interserve. And if we look back to 2012-13 we can see that around 13% of published central government procurement spending was with these suppliers. Do we think that's higher or lower in 2016-17? Higher, lower, it's higher. Um, it's approaching a fifth now, about 18%. Um, it's also increased a little bit in local government, but we've seen it dip <coughs> over the last year or so as well. So strategic suppliers are getting more and more government business. In fact, if we look at... Um, you might not be able to see all the grey lines there, but I'll highlight them. These are individual strategic suppliers... And you can see the sort of top of the table was Capita, although there's been a bit of a dip over the last year. But you can see that Carillion was the company with which government had the second highest level of published spending in 2016-17. Now, Cabinet Office dealt very quickly with what happened with Carillion earlier this year, and there was a minimal, minimal disruption and interruption to delivery of public services. But there's something quite interesting going on that some of government's biggest suppliers, who are taking a bigger share of government procurement spend, are actually in some financial trouble. Now, why is that happening? Well, it may be that strategic suppliers have been particularly aggressive when bidding for contracts, and they're lowering their prices in order to win that business. I mean, take Interserve, which has been in the news this week. Um, it's one of government's largest contractors working in prisons, schools and hospitals, and it's seen its profits on running probation and cleaning services fall from 3.1% in 2013 to minus 0.4% last month. So one of our first recommendations is that government needs to review the health of markets, that, that sort of the profits, the margins, so on and so forth. And can we, can we get more margin for the taxpayer, but also making sure that there's still a competitive field for these large suppliers to keep providing public services? Our second recommendation, and again, there are, much, there are more recommendations in the report, is to look hard at the past 30 years of UK government procurement and outsourcing to try to understand what has worked and what hasn't. Which areas has it worked more successfully in? Which ones hasn't it worked so successfully in? And we have lots of recommendations, and I'm sure that we'll go into some of these now, about improving the data, because it's critical that government can answer a lot of these basic questions about what it's spending, with whom, and to what <coughs> effect. Now, better data matters for a number of reasons. First of all, it enables government to make better spending decisions, seeing the impact of that spend, being able to work out if there are particular markets where competition is better or worse, and being able to make the interventions that are necessary uh, to improve the system is incredibly important. And I know that there's been a lot of encouraging work going on um, in Cabinet Office and elsewhere. Uh, for instance, there is the new contract and spend insight engine called Casey to try to get better procurement data. But it's also about better open data. Those of us on the, on the outside can also bring a great deal of insight. And again, this is something that government's made a lot of commitments around through the Contracting 5 membership, being part of the Open Government Partnership, and working on the Open Contracting Data Standard. So better data enables government to make better spending decisions. Better open data will have other benefits, including leading to lower prices. The Open Contracting Partnership have done uh, pieces of research on this, which suggests that by opening up some of this data, you will minimise the number of single bidder competitions. You can shave some money off the cost of the procurement process. And although we might be talking small percentages in terms of money saved, when you're looking at £284 billion worth of, of public spending, that adds up to hundreds of millions of pounds. It improves accountability. Uh, it's really important that the public is able to trace what's happened and the intermediaries, which probably includes us, and Spend Network and others, are able to translate what's going on to the public and improve public trust. 
It can create new markets and business opportunities. Again, Spend Network and others have been able to build their businesses off the data that's currently released. And I'm talking open data, and I'm talking business, the obligatory mention of transport data, TFL, and the £130 million pounds, uh, that, is, that is estimated to be generated by TFL opening up its data to businesses. And finally, it makes it easier to spot corruption. Now, that's probably less of a problem in the UK. It's more of a driver in places like Ukraine, Mexico, South America, who've been taking massive step forward on what they're doing with open data. But again, making this data open would make it much easier for us to spot anything untoward that might be going on. So the government's long been committed to more open data. It improves accountability, it drives improvements in public services, and it allows economic and social growth as businesses and other enterprises spring up. That was something reiterated by the Prime Minister in December 2017 and the importance of making all of this data as useful, as usable and accessible as possible. I think it's really important that we don't just see transparency as a trial but as a tool, that we don't see it just as an obligation but as an opportunity to improve how all of these markets work to help make government more effective and to get better value for the taxpayer. Thank you very much. Gavin, thank you. Gareth, I'm going to come straight to you for your reflections on the report and to talk a little bit more about what government's doing in this space. Well, super, thank you. Excuse me sitting down. I have a nasty feeling if we all get up and move to the lecture, there's going to be glasses everywhere. And the chaos. So <clears throat> no, no disrespect intended by, by staying sitting. Uh, look, thank you to everyone who's, who's put this report together. I think it's a very useful piece of work. Thank you to Gary for, for enabling that. Um, th you know, this is uh, an important area. Um, I want to focus most of my uh, comments today on what we're doing to improve, improve data because I think there's, there's, there's benefits uh, as discussed. Uh, but I, I, I do just want to sort of underline perhaps a couple of the, the, your, your, your opening comments. Um, it's absolutely in our interest uh, that we have healthy markets, um, competitive markets, vibrant markets of large, medium and small uh, providers uh, for the things that, that we buy. It's not for me, and it's perhaps worth saying what my role is. My role is in central government, so some of the data we talked about here relates to the wider public sector. That's slightly outside my um, purview, um, and we'll perhaps come back, come back to that. But it's not for me as a civil servant to, to, to decide or opine on what, we, uh, what uh, the, uh, our political masters choose to spend the money on. Our role is to make sure we're spending that effectively, getting good delivery and good value for money. So I, I can't really touch on the, uh, on, on, on the graphics that you, you, you talked about earlier. Um, but it's absolutely in all our interests uh, as taxpayers and, and, and citizens that the money we do have to spend is spent uh, effectively. Um, and open data um, and uh, everyone, uh, I think your accountability point was, was, was well made. So um, I will just make one comment on the, the healthy markets uh, uh, comment that you made, which is not really data, well it is data related in that colleagues in Bayes um, more than a year ago uh, announced this new prompt payment uh, database which companies throughout the UK are now uh, 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 compiling data for every six months. Each company over I think 250 employees has to send in a submission uh, showing what their payment uh, performance actually is. How many of their suppliers are they paying in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and, and also what the average is? That submission has to come in every six months, has to be signed by a director, so I think is, is therefore you know, believable. Um, and what we have just announced, or uh, uh, Oliver Dowden, who's the Minister for Implementation, announced uh, a couple of weeks ago, is that from next September, um, we will be moving to exclude um, from bidding companies who are not paying, uh, in paying their supply chain in 60 days. And I think that will have a transformative uh, effect um, and, and really underpin the healthy uh, word in the healthy markets statement that you, that you rightly touched on. So can I just sort of talk, move on to talk actually about data and what we're doing about there? Um, you've made the, the, a welcome of the report. I think there's a lot, lot of good uh, things in there. Um, support your analysis of why um, open pro procurement data uh, is valuable and, and <coughs> why we should have good public data as well as good and better uh, internal uh, government data. 
Um, we use public funds. It's obviously fair and reasonable, um, so long as we don't uh, have to publish truly uh, company-sensitive information to make that data about procurement uh, open. Uh, so there are many requirements uh, on, on transparency uh, and, and publication. Um, we agree with some of them, don't so much agree with some of the others. Uh, we'll come on to that, I'm, 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 I'm sure, in Q&A. Um, if we touch on a few of the obvious ones, um, we've been running an outsourcing uh, study group with our, our vendor base uh, in the uh, sort of post-Carillion uh, phase, and that's coming up with a number of really good uh, recommendations, which I think will make, um, uh, make our contracting process better, more robust, more resilient. One of them that relates to data is that we're going to, uh, government departments are going to move to, or we hope to get government departments, you know, nothing happens tomorrow, um, to move towards publishing their procurement pipelines. Now, obviously, these will be non-binding for information only. Um, people shouldn't take them as, as, as gospel. They will change as you know, political uh, requirements change and as, as demand requirements change. But I think that's something we, 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 we can move towards which I think will be very helpful to inform the vendor base of what is you know, upcoming. It'll be ragged to start, and then it'll get better, and then, it, then it'll get better. But I think that, you know, that's, that's a, a, a great recommendation that, that you've also picked up on. Um, I think, <coughs> um, uh, additionally, you make some interesting points about ownership structure, I think, uh, of, of the companies that, uh, uh, that are bidding. I think um, clarity on, 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 on that would be good. Um, there's a couple of things not so sure about. Um, I think we do have a data um, integrity uh, uh, issue, and I'll come back, come back to them in a minute about what I think we should do about that. And I think um, you know, there are many good companies, Ian's uh, and, and, and others, who spend a huge amount of time cleansing our data uh, in order to make it useful. And, and that, um, you know, my background is in, in lean manufacturing, that is truly a waste. Um, what can we do uh, to get the data right to start with so that the data is more useful uh, to everyone? So I would rather focus our efforts on getting the data right uh, and useful and consistent than you make some recommendations um, about hurdles. Uh, you know, what's, you know, what, um, what quantum of, of spend should be reported? What quantum of, of contract should be reported? And I think that I would come to that later. Otherwise, we're all, all we're going to do is generate more poor data. Let's get the data good, and then one, and hopefully automate it also. And once we've done that, then it is relatively it's a useful thing to do to reduce the quantum. I think from you know twenty five thousand to ten thousand, or from X thousand to five hundred, or, or so. And I think let's you know let's um, uh, let's get the data better uh, uh, to start with. Um, I'd make a couple other comments about uh, government data. I mean, government is vast and complicated. And if we, if we take the example of Carillion, which you, you touched on, and thank you for your, your comments on that. Um, so we had data on all of the companies that, uh, all of the parts of government that were dealing with Carillion, obviously. Uh, better and better. We did, we did not used to have that, but we have had that now for a year or so, a couple of years. What we don't have is information where we contract with one company and they subcontract to Carillion even though that service, as viewed by, through the eyes of a citizen receiving that service, would be regarded as a public service. Um, and that's quite tricky uh, to get at. So that's not really a data quality issue, that's a sort of a data scope uh, issue. So if we wanted to have a full picture of anyone who is doing any business that would be described as public, we would have to change our rules on, or change our thinking as a country on on freedom of information and demand from private companies a much larger amount of information about their supply base, which sometimes might be public and sometimes might be private. Now that's a political decision, but I think that's, that's quite a lot of, that's quite a step. Uh, um, so we're, so as an example, a, the SPV in a PFI, as a private company, we don't presently have rights to ask them to publish de details on their supply chain. So we, <coughs> so we will always have to have some uh, element where we're going to a vendor and saying, please tell us who your 
who your public contracts are in the normally accepted sense of the word public. So I, th I think we, we can be a bit too purist on how far our data can, uh, can reach. Um, you know, that, I think that, that would uh, be a good example. You also touched, for example, on single-year uh, contracts and, and so on. Well, it is more likely that central government would do lots of single-year contracts because they're probably not single-year contracts. They're probably contracts that were done in a year or maybe a fortnight, consulting contracts and so on. So we shouldn't beat ourselves up too much that central government has lots of short-term contracts. It doesn't mean that we're letting contracts multiply. You know, a five-year contract, we are let, it doesn't mean we're letting that as five one-year contracts. It could mean that we're using consultancy over here for two months and the same consultancy later over there for two weeks and then later over there for a month. Do you see what I mean? So I think we, we, we want to be careful of overanalyzing the data. Let's work, rather, to uh, push through the category code so that you can see what that, what that is being spent on. And then I think a lot of this sort of, you know, uh, I wouldn't say haze, but uh, would, would, uh, would vanish a little bit. Um, so um, uh, there are a couple of other um, sort of points we can, we can discuss, but those, those are the major ones as, as regards the report. Um, so what do we do going forwards? Um, how do we make this better? A um, couple of uh, things. So I, I really don't want um, to get too much into the timing of what I'm about to say next, um, but as part of leaving the European Union, we will obviously need to build ourselves a, new, a UK TED. Um, TED is the, uh, is the computer, uh, the European Union uh, system that uh, contracting authorities have to post tenders and then contract awards on uh, to meet uh, European uh, transparency regulations. Um, when we leave the European Union, we will need a UK TED. So no surprise, we are building a UK TED. Um, we, are, we are in aggressive testing of that um, so that we can turn that on uh, when, when that is needed. So uh, that gives us the opportunity uh, to work with the people who provide us that data uh, from contracting authorities to improve the quality of the data. Um, and so uh, we're doing a couple, there are a couple of strands to that. Uh, one strand is to work with the e-senders. Uh, these are the companies uh, like Proactis, uh, Millstream, uh, ADB, there's a, a range of, of, of excellent companies who provide the data from a contracting authority and submit it in the format required uh, for these standardised forms um, to presently European TED and in the future UK TED. So it would be great, wouldn't it, um, if that data was validated to the extent that uh, the, the contracting authority name was validated from a drop-down, the postcode from a drop-down. Uh, the company that gets awarded uh, the business uh, comes from uh, an identifier that everybody can, can recognise. We can argue about what that identifier should be. Um, <coughs> but then at a stroke, the new UK TED data will be much, 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 much cleaner uh, and uh, analysis will be much simpler uh, by any external party. Um, so that, that would be one strand. The second strand would be to look to work with the people who are who build uh, procurement systems, uh, IT systems for us, uh, Bravo, SAP and, and, and the others, to pass through from the, through their system the contract number. You make some excellent comments about the spend date. We need to be very careful always here to distinguish between uh, contract information and spend data. And the two are hard to stitch together. Ian's company does a great job, other companies uh, uh, do similar. Um, but if we could uh, get uh, our computers to pass automatically, pa pass through automatically, the contract number, uh, the CPV code, which is a, like a category code which tells you exactly what it is that we are buying, through from the contract, it, which it should be on the contract, right way through to the invoice, and then onto the spend data we published, then you could, everyone could stitch this stuff together much more rapidly, and you'd be able to see what it is that we're buying uh, everywhere. And so we need to work we are working uh, with the uh, IT guys uh, because that's in their systems that they then uh, sell us. And I think that would be of, of you know, overall benefit. So, you know, that, um, any of you who have changed large IT systems will realise that's not going to happen tomorrow, um, but we started some time ago, so 
you know, hopefully it's not uh, that far in the, in, in the future. Um, but that, I think you can see, will, will make a, you know, a, a material uh, difference to, to the quality of the data. Um, and then we can start to think about, as I talked about earlier, the hurdles and the granularity and the, and the depth uh, that we go down to uh, on, on data. But uh, uh, we can perhaps come back to that in, in Q&A. So overall, thank you very much. And, and Michael, thank you very much for, for, for a very stimulating report. Brilliant. Thank you, Gareth. Um, lots to come back to you there in Q&A. Um, Ian, I wanted to come to you now. Um, I'd be particularly interested in your thoughts on, uh, on Gareth's point that getting the data right internally first before moving to openness uh, is the order in which things should be done. But uh, we've asked you to speak to a number of points. So. I th I, well, um, I mean, I would... First of all, I, I think everyone needs to understand... Yeah, I think it's very easy for us to to uh, spend network to say, oh, look, we've gathered all this data and it doesn't seem to add up. Um, but actually, we we have to be, um, it's, it's beholden to us to be responsible about saying how difficult it is to do this. Mm -hmm. And it's also beholden on us to say thank you to the government for providing it in the first place. So I will, you know, I'm very glad that the government has done exactly what they have done. My business wouldn't exist without their commitment to transparency so far. And, you know, I also have to thank you guys for holding my feet to the fire and saying, look, can we really say this throughout the report? And so, you know, Michael and his team can, can stand up and go, yes, this is a good thing, because we know that we've worked really hard to get to the right answers. As for, um, you know, th there's always a balance, isn't there? Should we publish more data that we're not entirely sure about? Or should we get it all exactly right and then, and then publish it? I think there isn't an exact answer to that because if you just publish rubbish, everyone's going to sit there and go, well, you know, that's not helping anyone. On the other hand, if you sit there and sort of mark your own homework and polish it forever and no one ever gets to see it, you, you, you've not met any requirement either. So there, there is a balance to be struck. I, I, what I would say is that I, I would... I would it, err towards publication for, the, for, for, for very good reason, and that is that um, good data or any data that we can get um, creates a huge opportunity. And I think that there is a tendency to want to sort of be retrospective about publishing data. I think we should be forward-looking about the data and the opportunity that comes from publishing data to be able to do things like monitor supplier performance, to be able to do things like understand how we can engage more small businesses in public markets. Um, we're working with a, a European-funded project called They Buy For You. Um, and and that, there are some really, really smart people from all over Europe using machine learning and other uh, techniques to understand, like, if we put up a tender with these words in it, are we more likely or less likely to get small suppliers to bid on it? So there's this possibility that we could actually be intervening uh, at the point of publishing uh, tender notices and saying, you're not doing as much as you could to engage uh, or, or to get a competitive uh, um, event through this. Now, this is obviously early days, but the point is that you know, when we get more data, we can do more analysis. So I, I would want to focus really on, on, on the opportunity that comes from data. I would also want to say that, that you know, there's a tendency to, what well, Jonathan Swift said, falsehood flies and the truth comes limping after. And quite often, you know, when we're, when we're looking at um, data, we're sort of trying to do our best to, to slow down falsehood. But in fact, actually, you know, with, with open data, what we can do is speed up truth. And we can, and we can do more to, to make people aware of what's happening. I mean, you know, the IFG wrote, uh, Julian wrote a, a, um, a very good piece on um, the tidy up after Carillion and said the government has done a really good job. And, it was, and that is absolutely true. And I think that there's a tendency to want to imagine that we can get rid of all risk and that we could prevent all of this from ever happening. And actually, we can't. What transparency does is hopefully minimize some of that risk, fill the gaps, and encourage comp competitive markets. Thank you, 
Thank you very much. Um, uh, so I'm Gavin Heyman from the Open Contracting Partnership. For those of you who don't know us, we are a silo-busting collaboration spun out of the World Bank to kind of open up and transform government contracting and procurement around the world. So I work in about 30 different countries, but it really matters to me to see progress in the UK at home. So I'm, I'm hugely appreciative of all the hard work that's been done on the new report, right? Which was definitely, for me, the big news coming out of yesterday. And, um, <laughs> I mean, the number one recommendation about this is improving the data architecture. This was much harder than it should be, and the UK isn't where it should be in terms of the quality of the data it has, right? Um, fortunately, there is a, a, uh, a global schema that can really help out that's already been adopted by 25 to 30 different countries around the world called the Open Contracting Data Standard. So we are a free, not-for-profit, do-gooding, um, you know, like a collaborative trying to encourage the use of open data and the open tracking data standard is just a schema to share quite clearly and give unique IDs to each government contract so you can follow its life you know, across government all the way from the planning stage through the tender and award and then to its implementation. So it's, it's out there already. Um, I would love to see the UK government adopting it wholesale and using that. You know, why bother recreating something when there's something that already exists that works that's having great positive impacts in other countries? So um, I guess my number one picture here is uh, we're not trying to sell anything. It's simply there as a public good. You should adopt that and learn from that and use that for the, the TED replacement. The wonderful news is already mapped to the TED forms themselves. So you already could report it to the TED authorities you wanted to. It also reports to the WTO GPA, the Government Procurement Agreement, where everybody's obliged to do compliance and reporting for that. So um, it's a great schema that can be easily adopted. Um, it's worth just emphasizing the point about why you want to share open data, and I think the report makes a great case about this. It's good for government to have its own data, and that really matters for improving kind of spending decisions, but there is a direct correlation between better information in the marketplace and competition. If you look across the EU at uh, over like 3.5 million procurements, you can see the more information is shared, as Gavin was saying, the decreased chance there is of single bidders on contracts. And that matters because single bid contracts are universally more expensive, about 7 to 10%. So if everybody across the EU published um, five more items of information about their contracts, you'd probably see prices go down um, by between 3 and 6 billion euros. So it matters. This stuff is important. We're spending a lot of money on this in the UK. Okay, so it would be great for the UK too. Um, I was excited by what Gareth was saying about the planning because another reason you want to share the information is to uh, do better planning and better pre-market consultations. It really matters to share this information to actually have a dialogue about what's a good solution for the problem that government's trying to solve rather than just simply immediately procuring one particular widget. So that's really important and again that has a measurable impact on the trust and effort that SMEs and others will make into actually bidding for contracts. And thirdly, it's worth reflecting on the accountability. You know, the UK is not immune to contracting scandals, as we know. It's also not immune to fraud. There was a big NHS, NHS fraud case recently. Um, we're very lucky today have John Penrose, who is the UK's uh, anti-corruption uh, uh, czar across government. And the UK, um, John, <laughs> quick hand up. Um, and the UK has just reported yesterday as well its big anti-corruption uh, report about what it's doing there. And it's quite quiet on what UK is doing at home on procurement and open data, but it's actively encouraging it around the world through both um, DFID and also the Prosperity Fund, um, particularly in middle-income countries where there's a real opportunity to leapfrog and use better data and have better outcomes. So that was kind of point one. It's worth um, just reflecting in the report. There's some interesting things about the kind of creeping, um, you know, like a... a size of all the, the strategically important suppliers. So 25, they're doing more and more business with government, and so that's worth just reflecting on. And then also a declining spend on SMEs. The government had a very ambitious target. It was making good progress on that. It's just gone backwards recently. So again, let's think about how we chop out the friction um, in dealing with um, suppliers in the marketplace. And then that will bring me to my third point, which is just on 
uh, with the comprehensive spending review coming up, there's an opportunity to just rethink public procurement more generally. So at the moment we're thinking about taking a paper-based process and sharing better data around that. Maybe we should be thinking about the transformation opportunity to go digital and have like a 10 times better user experience for everybody from public procurement. Um, and there are great examples of that. So to close quickly, if you look at Ukraine, for example, they use the open contracting data standard at the heart of a whole new procurement system. Um, they've saved themselves billions of dollars. Perceptions and of corruption and public trust have massively decreased. What's fascinating is competition has hugely increased and hundreds of thousands of new suppliers entered um, the government supply chain. 80% of contracts in Ukraine go to SMEs, which is like off the charts compared to the UK. Um, Korea has a full end-to-end e-procurement system with e-invoicing and everything else. It, uh, government contracts have gone down from 30 hours to award to two hours. The savings to government were a couple of billion dollars. The savings to business were about sort of four to five times that, you know, within the eight to 10 billion region. So it really matters for, let's call it economic efficiency to get this stuff right. So I would say, first of all, you know, go to the Open Protected Data Standard and use that schema to, to, to share the information and think about it because it's already been quite carefully engineered as to how to do that and that would be great advice to government. Think about how you can do more business SMEs faster and number three is think, re, think digital service and just um, re-engineer the whole approach. And there's a great example from government digital services already had a really positive impact on the UK procurement in that area. So thank you very much for inviting me and Brilliant. great report. Thank you, Gavin. Um, a really helpful kind of international perspective and a passionate case for, for open data. Uh, we've only got 15 minutes left, so I'm going to come straight to questions. I'll take them in uh, threes. So we've got um, somebody right at the back over there. If you could just um, tell us your name and, and where you're from, as well as your question. Um, Robert Morland. Um, I'm a, a management consultant, but, but maybe I should say I'm a former MEP, which may reflect my question, um, which is partly, what about um, watching the danger of bureaucracy, more paper filling, uh, et cetera, et cetera, in all this uh, management of the process. And what are we doing to ensure that we maintain um, the openness of being able to supply to the rest of the EU and equally the open here? What is being done to do that? I know from a small experience with Staffordshire potteries, if you go to all the European institutions, you will find your cup of tea comes from in a, a cup from Stoke-on-Trent, um, which was thanks to the procurement rules. Um, and one hopes that continues. And over here. Uh, David Walker, Guardian Public. Um, great report, but uh, let's hear your thoughts about the, the really interesting part of procurement, which is outsourcing. That's to say the transfer of entire service blocks to private providers. Camden Council buys a truck, no problem. Government's done that for ages. Camden Council transfer environmental services to Veolia. That is, from a public point of view, a major advance. And it's clearly been a subject of ideological attention over the past 30, 40 years. Can you, can you give us any data that would distinguish outsourcing as a part of the procurement uh, enterprise. Thank you, and here. Thanks, uh, Lorna Booth from the House of Commons Library. Um, I was wondering if you could say anything a little bit more about um, any government plans to put more data out there on aggregate spending. So there's fantastic and improving data now on individual contracts, individual spending items, but how much does the government think it spends with Intercert, for example, um, and whether it has any plans to sort of put more of that data out there itself? Brilliant, thank you. So we've got openness of supply, outsourcing, um, and can we distinguish between procurement and outsourcing in the data? And finally, data on aggregate spending. Um, who wants to go first? Gavin, shall I? <coughs> um, shall I just pick up um, David's question um, quickly? 
I think it'd be fair to say that was a conversation we had quite a lot putting this report together. Um, and I think the, the conclusion that we came to was that we had to go for the sort of procurement category in order to be able to, to use the data that was there. However, I, I hope that the other work that Emma's referred to that we'll be doing over the next few months will get more at that question. Because um, again, it's a, obviously a massive political issue at the moment because of what's happened with Carillion and, and others. And obviously the sort of political mood has changed. So the big question is, can we look at um, examples where outsourcing has been seen to work and where it hasn't worked so well? So that's a really mealy-mouthed way of saying, watch this space. But um, hopefully we'll have something for you soon. Can I just uh, add a little bit to that? So, um, you know, never waste a good crisis. Um, although Carillion went down not for reasons of, of contracting, it has, you know, put a spotlight uh, uh, on particularly how we outsource. So we've had this working group of uh, industry participants and civil servants working, you know, for six months or so now. And if you look at some of David Liddington, the uh, CDL's uh, speeches, you'll see he's been laying out a, a number of really excellent initiatives that have come you know, from industry, you know, working with, with civil servants. Um, and you know, one of those is on, for uh, let's say, complex outsourcing. I, I don't know much about your Camden Veolia uh, example, I'm afraid. Um, but you know, we should certainly, within central government, have a presumption that we do a make versus buy analysis, uh, which I think will tease out a lot of uh, these things, a presumption that we run pilots if it's a first generation outsourcing and so on, because I think um, that that's at one end. And then you know, picking up on something that Gavin and, and, and Ian also touched on uh, earlier on a publication of results. What we've been talking about today is contracting information. What you'll see if you look back to the speeches of, of Mr. Liddington's, um, you'll see a, a, uh, an, initiative, an, an initiative to start with our uh, most senior contracts publishing KPIs. I think that's a, that's a really positive step, and I think then that allows the public, interested bodies, to look at what we are spending with who, and with on what category, which I think you, know, you touched on, and what and what are we getting from it? Um, there are you know multi, you know there are a number of contracts that keep being discussed in the press, 15, 20 or so, on a basis of about 10,000 within central government, and I think you know it's easy for one's perception to be skewed by those you know, 10 or 15 and, and the vast numbers of contracts which are running very successfully, delivering value for money, uh, delivering good uh, uh, outcomes for citizens uh, go unremarked. Uh, you know, that's, that's life, isn't it? But uh, you know, increasingly, I, I think what Mr. Lillington is looking for is that we start publishing those KPIs. Um, you, you made a great uh, point, Robert. Uh, on um, public procurement. I don't know where your teacups uh, were uh, that you, you, you spotted, um, but there is a, an, an existing agreement called the GPA, the Government Procurement Agreement, where signatories, and that's uh, you know, multiple 20 or so uh, governments, signed onto the GPA uh, that opens their public procurement markets to other signatories' companies. <coughs> um, we're a member of that because we're a member of the EU. Um, as we leave uh, the EU, uh, we need to continue to be members of the GPA, and that's obviously, you know, a negotiation uh, item. Um, but you know, hopefully, we're making good good progress on that, so that UK companies will continue to have access to the markets of other GPA uh, signatories. But that's absolutely a fair point. We've had a team working on that, um, you know, since since the vote. Brilliant. And the question on um, data on aggregate spending. Well, I mean, the, 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 the aggregate spending data, I mean, that, that, that comes through Contract Finder. So I think the, um, and, and, and linking that together, which is, but you know, the work that the, the Dean is doing. So the more we can do to link that information together in the way that I discussed, then that'll become a lot more, um, more visible to you. Well, <coughs> I, I might, I might um, duck too much about bureaucracy in the EU, if, if, if that's okay, because, we look at the data. What I will say is that when we when we've looked at how long it takes to run sub-OGU events, uh, tendering events, it, 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 it doesn't seem to be a significant difference. There, it takes about as long to, to do it where, without a, an OGU as it does with. So um, that's that. That's all I can offer on that. On David, on your point, I think I think there is a there is a risk that we. That we end up looking at the road and not the destination, and and I think that um, 
there are, if you take some of the innovative work that is being done with citizen collectives in social care in Holland, for example, there is some really interesting outsourcing going to private companies that deliver far better outcomes for citizens than supply by um, uh, some private sector, but also some government. And, and I think there is a tendency, one of the things that I think was really, really positive about the, G, the work that GDS did was that they were incredibly focused on their principles around what is user need. And I think that perhaps there's a moment in procurement where we should stop and say, what is the citizen need at the outset of every procurement? Uh, and, and, uh, and or before you make your make or buy decision. And if we can focus on citizen need, then I think we kind of move away from what might be a, an ideological discussion about whether private is good and public is bad, and actually go, what, what works? What is the evidence that delivers a better public service? Because if a private company can do better at picking up waste, and we know it, then that's who should pick up waste. But if, a, if, a, uh, if, if they can't, if the public can do it better, that's how we should do it. So it, I think, and this goes back to sort of using data as evidence, and I think KPIs is a good thing. I, I would also, you know, stress that actually the, the prompt payment initiative, which I think is brilliant, I, I really like it, is a really good example of government generating data, consuming that data, and then changing its policy in response to that data. So, you know, I think this is that is the way we should be looking to, to drive. Um, Lorna, on, on your point on aggregate spend, um, I, I think the, the, the ability that we have with computers now is to say, okay, this is, it's really quite easy to add up a million rows of data. So what we shouldn't, it, I think there's a risk if you have have aggregate spend that doesn't add up to the spend that's published in the 500 pound statements, you end up with two competing data points and you're like, oh, well, what's the truth? It would probably be better to have some sort of um, sample audit of the data that's published and say, okay, yep, that, that actually is accurate. That adds up to what we've got in our systems and therefore we're comfortable. So some sort of validation of the data would probably be the approach that I would take because actually um, if, if we end up duplicating systems, we, we're, gonna, we're gonna end up with the inevitable um, conflict. So I, I, I would go down, go down that route. But I, I take your point, it, there should be a, there should be a notional understanding, let's say quarterly, of how much uh, we're spending with, with those prime contractors and to say, yeah, okay, that we, we know those figures are good. Uh, that one's still out for review because we've got a disputed invoice of over a million quid or something. Gavin, I wanted to get um, your perspective, your kind of international perspective on the question that David Walker asked on outsourcing. Because something that we really wanted to do in this report was to distinguish between procurement and outsourcing and say, actually, how much is the outsourcing market specifically, the government outsourcing market specifically, worth in the UK? But we just weren't able to do so in the data. Is that the same um, in some of the other countries you work in or, um, or not? It's interesting. So in some of the countries you work in that have really good open data, you can begin to make some of those distinctions. So I'm thinking of a country like Paraguay in Latin America, where they've had a fairly good data culture. And in fact, um, the, the end result was a, a very active debate and student protest precisely over um, a failure to deliver um, quality schools in this case, right? And uh, an activist movement, and it turned out the education minister, unfortunately, had to um, yeah, resign because they'd failed to deliver the services they'd promised while massively overspending on, um, I think it was uh, flowers, biscuits and <laughs> cups of tea centrally. So, so you've got this, this strange mix of, you know, like um, failure to deliver frontline services while central spending went up, which is pretty toxic. So, so it's interesting to see how accountability could be improved to get better services to the frontline. I think tracking back to the wider point, which is um, more around much better planning, so the better dialogue to look at what is we want and the planning shaped around user needs, so helping people plan better as well and then um, much better monitoring of results so thinking about that that chain of information and joining up with information which gets me back of course to better data but um, 
if you look at government digital services in the UK, um, they monitor actively the spending and work with people on contract delivery because they're the digital experts to help departments that don't have that expertise. That costs the UK around four million a year, I think. The added value is about a hundred million a year in terms of savings. So, yeah, there will be an investment in new skill sets within government to handle this stuff, and that that will yield great results. So, just thinking strategically, I think of the comprehensive spending review again for investment in these things. If you want to get better results with less, then we're going to have to get smarter, and I think that's the, the big hidden message in this report. So. Can, can I follow up to something that Ian and Devin uh, sort of triggered in my mind there? I mean, I think in stat on, on time, procurement time is, is really interesting. So I, we've, we're running a number of benchmarks across government looking at how long, you know, under a customer dimension, how long do we take to do OGs? How long do we take to do uh, call offs in different departments, and it's different. So, how do we share best practice? How do we drive that time down? But you know, a key point is we do need to move as much of this uh, online as we can. Um, and so, the initiative um, that CCS are running um, called Crown Marketplace, and I think it's a, a name that actually puts off a number of wider public sector buyers. So, we perhaps need to come up with a uh, with, with a better name. But I think we've got five or six categories live on that at the moment. I think it's another nine in gestation at the moment. And when those go live, then we'll do more and more and more. Um, that will enable particularly wider public sector buyers to quickly access uh, standard uh, frameworks and buy things quicker, run mini competitions quicker themselves, You know, be able to quickly communicate what they need locally um, and, then, and then get it will be just a, you know, a massive uh, step forward. And I think we'll drive you know, drive timeliness, drive perhaps some of the agenda that you, you were talking about as well. Brilliant. We've got time for a couple more questions. John Penrose, anti about... anti-corruption champion, but this is actually a question about uh, quality. I was really struck by Gavin Heyman's point about uh, <coughs> the you know, number of small suppliers in countries like Ukraine and the huge uh, improvement in productivity and value for money that that had driven through that extra competition. How worried should we be by the other Gavin slide showing the proportion of uh, pr procurement going to those prime contractors starting to creep back up again? Is that a danger sign and what does the panel think behind it? Uh, Susie Ring from Bloomberg. Um, in light of Carillion and InterServe and some of the other issues we've seen, um, there's obviously questions that it raises around the effectiveness of Crown representatives. I just wondered if that's something that the working group had been looking at and if we're expecting any changes to come down the line um, in respect of their role. Thank you. And then one over here. A uh, question for Gareth. Um, the 60 days payment terms plan. Very good idea. But, uh, sorry? Sorry, just tell us your name and where you're from. Oh, uh, Ed Franklin, PwC. Thank you. Um, the 60 day payment plan, very good idea. What is uh, central government doing to make sure that the cash is paid to its suppliers faster so that it can be passed through the chain more quickly? Okay, thank you. So you've got one question on you know, how worried we should be about the rise in the share of um, strategic suppliers, and the effectiveness of Crown representatives, and 60 days is central government doing its bit. Gareth, I'm going to start with you. Um, so let me let me sort of deal with the easier ones on those. So Ed, Ed your, your, your comment. Um, so government aims to pay 80% um, in five days. There's some stats on that, uh, that that are available. Some departments are better than others, absolutely. Uh, we need to improve, but broadly, you know, we're, we are hitting that. Um, so if we're paying in, we're paying in say 10 days, I think for vendors not to be paying, you know, our vendors not to be paying in 60, they're still, they're still sitting on positive cash for 50 days. So um, that's, why, that's why I just don't think, uh, that's why I think the, the publication of this data, um, I think is so, so, so important. I just think there is no, no meaningful argument why vendors would, wouldn't be able to pay in 60 days. Um, you know, so, and I hope, you know, I hope this room would, would support that initiative and what we need to do in the time between now and September. You know, I don't want to exclude bidders. My aim is to have as many bidders for everything as is perfectly possible. I mean, that, we're all aligned on that. Um, what I want is for bidders or potential bidders, cash uh, payment performance to move 
to be better than 60 days because I think that will drive, drive improvement. So I'm, I'm, I'm more carrot uh, than, 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 than stick, if you like. Um, uh, you make a great point uh, on, on concentration. Um, and I think I'm not sure that I would align concentration along the same axis as, as corruption. I think actually, I think there could be cases for saying the obverse is, is true. Um, because I think the smaller companies, perhaps, you know, smaller contracts, harder to manage, harder to, harder to invigilate. I, so I, <clears throat> I, I think they are... Right, okay. So, you know, how do, how do we make sure we get value for money? And I think the key point here is how do we make sure and continue and continue uh, to work, and there's been some great work um, by the commercial policy team, uh, to open up our markets and make us easier and easier to deal with. I, I, I'm a lapsed chief executive by background. I've sold, uh, I've run a number of businesses that have sold into government. So I'm, I'm um, uh, aware, let's not say painfully aware, I'm aware of, of, you know, uh, of the hurdles. So what can we do um, to uh, build on the work that's already been done to have you know, standard databases of, uh, of ba background information that a supplier can put in once and say, no, my, my data still complies with the data held on X. That would just, just dramatically reduce uh, the paperwork load. Um, how, do we <coughs> uh, how do we go further uh, on what we've al already announced? If, we're sub if a vendor to us is subcontracting that they should post that, that subcontract on Contracts Finder. How do we, so that, that I think started six months ago, looking at CAS there, so that six months, so we, we, we announced this I think six months ago, I think for contracts I think of uh, five million, when we've got good compliance of that, let's widen that net. So I think we can continue uh, to do that. I think, you know, I don't, it's, it's not for me to determine what we buy. Um, the proportion of work that goes to uh, core vendors will change, and particularly that will change around swings in the MOD budget. Um, because if we're buying, a flippant example, more submarines rather than more boots, uh, then, th then th we should expect changes. We've had some fantastic successes with SMEs gaining large government contracts, and then they're not SMEs anymore. Mm. Do we take that contract away from them? That would seem perverse. So, um, uh, I mean, no, we, should, we won't do that. Um, so I think we will see swings in, 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 in that SME data. Um, and it's, it, reporting is not perfect. Um, I, you know, this is maybe news. So um, we need, let's, let's, let's work to improve the data. But let's, let's actually work on what makes a difference, which is making it easier for SMEs to deal with us easier for them to get paid quickly so that they want to do business with us. Um, so I think that that's sort of more to the point. And the lady from Bloomberg, uh, I wasn't sure I saw anything in the report about Crown Reps, but um, since you mentioned it, um, they do a fantastic job. And uh, we wouldn't be able to have the uh, relationships with our key vendors that we do and have made the progress on delivery uh, on value for money without having the, the Crown Reps, for those of you who don't know, are part-time uh, portfolio senior execs in a in a uh, uh, in one industry or another who uh, if you like uh, man mark the the key vendors and that allows us a direct route into those key vendors um, at the chief executive or C-suite uh, level in a way that a, an individual contracting authority uh, wouldn't necessarily have access to and also vice versa if a vendor thinks that we are doing something that is that is likely to lead to a bad result, then they can talk to the Crown Rep um, at a very senior level and come straight back in, uh, into government. So, um, you know, I think they've, um, since that they've, they've been introduced five, six years ago, I think our interaction uh, with uh, key vendors has, has changed dramatically. I think, um, unfortunately, I see Richard's gone, actually, if you wanted to, um, but if there are any other reps from the senior vendors here, then or the strategic vendors, perhaps you should ask them how, how that's transformed the way we work. Brilliant, thank you. Ian, I'm going to come, is there any final comments you want to make? I have to make them quickly. Uh, very short okay, I, I, um, very quickly on the, on, the, on the Crown reps, I would, I, would pr I would say that actually, yes, very, you know, I 
back up what Gareth is saying, that it's important to have those relationships, but with more transparency, we could have a situation where almost everyone becomes a Crown rep, if you see what I mean, you know, the, the, the availability of information to allow us to make judgments on the performance of our suppliers, you know, would, I think, influence that performance. Um, I won't say anything about 60-day payments because I don't have any data on that. Or, um, but I would say on the small suppliers and the, and the point that you make, there are some data points that we're seeing, and this is Europe-wide, that the average number of bids across Europe is falling. And that is a concern, I think, for our public markets. And it's not, and I stress that this is, you know, this is something that we can't, you can't know that you're, when you go out to, in a local authority to commission waste, or when you go out for a consulting contract, you can't know that actually that's a little less than the last time. But I think government and governments around Europe should start to think about this and start to look to see what we can do to reverse that trend. And that will help SMEs. Uh, as a result. Thank you. Gavin. Just obviously, there's a, there's a good analysis in page 21 of the report going on about that. Um, it's clear there was a big jump forwards and now it's stepped back a bit and it's declining, right? So there's, there's clearly a problem there. Definite strong evidence that better quality open data hugely improves competition. It's also then worth thinking about how the market innovates to put those opportunities into the hands of SMEs. So I know some countries where opportunities are beamed to people's mobile phones directly and says, you didn't get that, have you thought about this contract? Because people are able to segment and target and actually give people opportunities. So we need to think more radically about how we encourage competition for government contracts. Government can do some things, but it should also then encourage others to innovate using the data so it can really meet people. And those are the best examples I've seen internationally in different countries like Colombia and elsewhere, where there's been a, a measurable change and improvement in competition. Um, Contracts Finder, um, it comments on the, the data in Contracts Finder, and um, it's still obviously a work in progress. It's, it does strike me as the UK has, it's a pipe at the end of government, so it's not necessarily, it's dependent on other people feeding it and actually thinking about how you unlock and share that data across all those different silos um, is really important. That's where things like the data standards come in and the open contracting data standard. Um, and then if you are going to have a contract register like Contracts um, Finder, make sure it's mandatory, right? There are some countries like Slovakia where it isn't an enforceable contract until it's properly published and information about it's out there. You don't have things like that in the UK, but Contracts Finder has a lot of the costs of doing that without all the benefits that the British government deserves. Thank you. And Gavin? Um, literally, just, a couple of just, to, just, just to wrap up, um, I think the fact that we've been able to have such an insightful discussion today shows the value of doing exercises like this and trying to use the data to understand what's going on. And I think it, it's really important, this has come up from everybody that's spoken, everybody that's asked a question, it's not data or open data for the sake of data or open data, it's to change behaviour, it's for a particular <coughs> purpose and it's to make um, the whole landscape of government more effective. Brilliant, thank you. Um, as Gavin said at the beginning of the event, um, this is the first in a new programme of work for us on outsourcing and procurement. So I hope to see you all again um, in 2019 as we continue to look at this area and to focus in on outsourcing. Um, so I want to say thank you to all our panellists uh, for joining us today for a fascinating discussion. Thank you to Spend Network for all their support on providing the data for this report. And thank you to Gowling um, for making this work possible. And thank you to all of you for coming along. Have a good morning. Thank you.